running church. The wonder-working power. That's the power that sustains us, that keeps us. We are saved by the power of Jesus' blood. Good to see you this morning. Uh, just a quick commercial before we get into our word today. Um, on Saturday, July 23rd, uh, we will have our next men's breakfast. That's Saturday, uh, July 23rd. Uh, we haven't had a men's breakfast since we had the men's retreat. So we are looking forward to fellowshipping together. We have a men's breakfast every other uh, month on, on a Saturday. So this time we uh, have determined that we're going to cook for ourselves. If you guys remember, we, we, we spoke about that, right? So that does a couple of things. It, it gives um, our hospitality ministry a break. Um, and then the other thing is we hear about the women's brunches every month, and I'm here to witness how many trays of food come in there. Uh, I get to taste test the food to make sure it's safe for the women, and uh, we are going to come. We're not going to bring food. If you want to, you can, but we're going to come in early in the morning at 7 a.m., 7 a.m., a couple of people signed up. There are some really good chefs here that I've already tasted their food, and we're going to cook. Um, and then besides uh, cooking and obviously the word and having fellowship, we're going to clean up. Um, I cook. I love to cook. I don't like to clean up. And when I cook, I use all my resources. So I use all the countertop. I pull everything out of the refrigerator. I use all kind of utensils, all kind of bowls. And my wife's like, this is good, but there's a lot of work left over. So we also have to clean up. That men's breakfast will be at 9 a.m. on Saturday, July 23rd, but we will start cooking at 7. Really looking forward to that. Even us interacting, getting together, cooking together, we're going to have a great time. We always have a word for that day and time where we interact with each other. So make sure you sign up for that online or in the bookstore. This morning, we're starting a new series. The series is called Watch Your Life and Your Doctrine. And we're going to find ourselves today in 2 Timothy chapter 4. The sermon title today is Doctrine Matters. One of the things that I, I often uh, think about is uh, information that we receive. We receive all kind of information all the time. And if I wanted to deceive you, if I wanted to trick you, the easiest way to do that is to tell you what you want to hear. There's a lot of things that people want to hear. They have predetermined thoughts about things, and when you tell them something that feeds what they want to hear, they gravitate to that. An example of that is someone like Bernie Madoff, right, and what he did how he was able 
to scam people out of millions and millions and millions of dollars because he painted a picture and that image was there. And then he drew people in, making them promises that they would have windfall returns on their money like no one else could provide, all to find out that it wasn't true. We see that so often with so many things that we hear in terms of information and how we receive that information. One of the things that I do is whenever something happens, uh, a current event, or uh, something about a person, or uh, uh, some situation that comes up, I don't go to one news source, I check a couple of different news sources. And to tell you the truth, it is extremely frustrating because depending on who you listen to, one of the things that you realize is there is a lot more than I'm just going to lay out the facts or the events that took place. No, each entity is bent on guiding the way you will think. So if you listen to one outlet and you hear some of the information, the rest of it is, this is what I want you to think and actually respond to the information you hear. And when you go to another news source, it takes you in a whole nother direction. That's not a good thing. But it's one thing for us to have wrong information or wrong beliefs on current events or on a historical figure. It is a very different thing to have the wrong understanding of who God is. See, because eternity is too long to be wrong. If, if we get that wrong, we have a real serious problem. So as we engage in, in this series over the next couple of weeks, I really want you, uh, even today, to think through how do I um, think of God? And, and do, I, do I challenge myself with what the Scriptures actually say, or am I just stuck believing what I want to believe about God and leave it there. So if you don't mind, um, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Again, we are in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to read the first eight verses. And it reads this way. I'm reading out of the ESV this morning. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Some versions say sound doctrine 
but having itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from, from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the power in your word, Lord. We ask that today we would have ears to hear, Lord. We want to perceive truth. We want to continually have our hearts turned changed. We want to continually look more and more like Jesus. We want to know you, not for knowledge's sake, but for intimacy's sake, for, for us being in love with you and who you truly are, Lord. So would you do that this day, Lord? In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So this letter is written to Timothy. Timothy is a spiritual son of Paul's. He got saved on, on um, Paul's first missionary trip. He took many trips with him, and he is a third-generation Christian right from the beginning. His grandmother, his mother, and now he is a believer, and he has been charged with becoming a preacher. Uh, he is called to preach the word, and Paul is expressing, hey, I'm at the end of my time here. I have done the things God has called me to do. Now you go forth and do what God has called you to do. And the number one thing he is called to do is preach the word. When a pastor or a preacher or a teacher is called to preach the word. That is their primary responsibility above everything else they're called to do. Uh, pastors are called to do many things, but there is nothing more important for the pastor to do than preach the word. And in preaching the word, it takes hours and hours of study and being in God's word. But that is not only for the preacher, for the pastor, for the teacher. We are to know God's word. And it says here to be ready in and out of season. In, in, in other words, be on standby, be on guard, be ready uh, when the time seems right, when the time doesn't seem as right, um, to always be ready to preach. 
to teach God's Word, to have a sense of urgency about people knowing the gospel. And then it says that you are to, in preaching the word, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. So, so that patience uh, means that you give people time to grow. But, but it does not mean that you allow them to waste time. It is one thing to give people time to grow, to hear, and for their lives to be changed. It's another thing for people to be flippant about it. Time is of the essence. There is an urgency, and this is nothing to be complacent about. This is a heavy charge being placed on Timothy. And we know that the Word of God says not many people should even sign up to be teachers because it says that their judgment will be stricter. But what we also see here is there is a divine certainty right from the beginning of the text. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to be judged. There is a future certainty that you must know. You will meet your maker. So because of that, whether the living or the dead, and that his kingdom is going to appear, be ready and preach the word. In this preaching, it says to reprove. That, that means that you are to convince. You are to correct those who error in doctrine or in behavior. And when we're speaking about doctrine, what we're speaking about is teaching. You are to call people to account, to show one his faults. And, and the word has, uh, in the Greek, is, is, is speaking about something being unmasked, uh, something being exposed. And we know that things that are exposed are exposed how? Um, by the light. By the light of God's word. One of the things that Pastor Angelo always says is, don't be a sermon-proof Christian. In, in other words, the Word of God is supposed to do something in you. When you hear it, it is supposed to expose things to you. It doesn't expose things to God. He knows. The Word of God exposes to you what's going on on the inside. And as that light exposes things, we have the power of the Holy Spirit as God's children to have those things rooted up, have those things that are dark be exposed to the light so that they would change, and we should desire that change. It says here that I charge you in the presence of God and in Christ Jesus who is to judge. To judge. On what basis? 
on the basis of how you've lived your life, even on the basis of how you lived your Christian life. The Bible tells us to whom much is given, much is required. So there is a standard that you are going to be judged by, and that standard is his word. It's not how you feel, not what other people say, not how you think. That standard is going to be his word. That's what you are going to be judged by. His word, his teaching, doctrine. So when people hear doctrine, they're often, well, I just need to know this, that. No, 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 no. You need to know this is about life and death. So when it speaks about being reproved, these things being unmasked, it tells us um, in John chapter 3, right after the verse that we all quote about the love of God and Jesus coming to the world, um, it then says in verse 19, starting in verse 19, and this is the judgment that light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The word is there to expose and convince. And then the next thing that preaching and teaching is supposed to do is to rebuke. To rebuke is to express so, a strong disapproval um, because of someone's actions or because of someone's behavior. It's, it's a warning to those who are in sin. Well, then the question comes up, who's in the position to rebuke anyone? Well, God is. And the only time that anyone can rebuke another person is standing on the authority of God, which means standing on the authority of God's word. That's where proper rebuke comes from. Not that I think uh, this about what you're doing or, or whatever that is. No, no, no. The standard is God's word. So when we rebuke someone in the power of God's word, we have the authority to do that. No one else standing on their own authority can do that. That standard is set by him. So when we say something is wrong, it's not because I think it's wrong, it's because God's word says it's wrong. And then the text goes on to say that we are to reprove, to rebuke, and to exhort. Exalt is to encourage. It is to persuade with authority, the authority of the word to those that are growing in spiritual maturity. Many entrust their pastor for spiritual nourishment week by week, usually up to the point where a word of correction or rebuke comes, then 
um, whether it's from a sermon or whether it's one-on-one. Because even in a sermon, often you hear something and you kind of reject it. But it's what the Word of God says. Or if something happens and I meet with someone and scripturally I'll show them this is what God's Word says. You're in error, brother or sister. That's where the problem comes in. Um, This is the thing. Usually when that happens, people have a mindset where they say, who do you think you are? That's that's usually what happens. Who do you think you are? Well, I'll tell you who I am. I am a messenger from God. Um, I am not the one who wrote the message. I'm telling you what the message says, and you don't have to deal with me, but you will deal with him. So before you just choose, when we're seeing that the Word of God says to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort, think that through. Because most of the time, it's what you most need to hear that many times people reject. As we go on in the text, it says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, where people will not endure sound doctrine. But having itching ears, they will accumulate to themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Sound doctrine means um, teaching. It means instruction. Sound means healthy, right? We can um, desire to be healthy, but the flesh is always desiring things that are unhealthy. All the way from ranging from poison to um, inferior food to even a polluted atmosphere. Sound means uncorrupted. It means free from any free from any mixture of error. Sound doctrine and accurate instruction that challenges people with the word of God's truth. But often people don't want that. So they multiply teachers. It's always going to be a fight of the will. It's going to be a battle between your will and God's will, what he says. A disciple, which is what the church is called to make disciples, is a learner. A disciple is a follower. It is a student. So I got to ask you a question. How do you read your Bible? Do do you study Scripture as just a casual reader? I'm going to open this up. I'm going to read a couple of lines. I'm going to close it, and I'm going to go about my day. See, because doing that, we can easily take things out of context. Doing that, we can easily just kind of 
go to the part that we want to hear, that we want to believe, that we want to think of God. But studying the Word of God is so much more than that. We cannot be casual readers of the Bible. We need to know the Bible. The Bible is the book of life. It says, for the Word of God is living and effective. It is living and it is effective, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So when this surgery is done, it is not for God to figure out, oh, that's what's going on inside. No, that word is there for you to be challenged with who you are, with what you think about God, with how you deal with things in this world. That's what it's there for. But it says that people don't endure sound doctrine. When you don't endure sound doctrine, it's going to lead to one thing. It says, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Myths. If you reject the truth, if you water down the truth, if you mix the truth with other things, it is no longer the truth. And you will be in the position where you will wander off into myths because we want to believe what we want to believe. Just like when we pick what news we're going to listen to is because I want to fortify what I already believe, what I want to believe. And I'll do away with any other information that's not strengthening what I already believe. And that's a problem. Myths are fables. They're man-made fiction. And those things come our way all the time. We have to be very, very careful. Be on guard about things that sound real nice. It sounded real nice when the serpent told Eve, if you eat this, you will be like God. It sounded real nice when Sarah told her husband, take my maidservant and have a child with her. It fed multiple things. First off, they were old. His maidservant was, her maidservant was probably young. He's like, well, if you exist, it satisfied his flesh. It was going to help out God. Maybe this is how he was going to do what he said he was going to do. And look what it led to. And look at even the source of how he was misled from his wife. So even sometimes trusted people give us wrong information. I don't think her intentions were wrong. Her faith just wasn't strong. She didn't wait. Be on guard 
for things that sound nice. Another thing that I see is people's attention span is growing worse and worse. If I don't have like a quick thing to tell you that catches your attention, you drift off into never-never land. We, we want something short, compact, that I could just walk away with, put it in my pocket, and chew on it for a little while. No. And when we read the Bible that way, that is a big danger because that's when we take things out of context. You can make the Bible say almost anything. We have to read things in context. And let me tell you something. I've said this before. We are to pray. And outside of the Holy Spirit, you cannot understand certain things in Scripture. But the Holy Spirit is not there to interpret Scripture for you. You can't pray and say, show me what this means, God. Read your Bible and throw every principle of interpretation out the window. And then come back and argue, because many people have said it to me, well, the Bible says this. Well, I don't read it that way. And the Holy Spirit said, or God said to me, and it's not lining up with God's Word. There are principles in interpreting anything. If we're having a conversation right now, you are using principles to understand what I'm saying for you to put it in its proper context. But even in this, you could go online, take a sentence out of what I said, put it somewhere else and say, look what he said. Well, if it's not in its proper context, you can take that and send it somewhere else. And when we do that with God's word, we put ourselves in great danger. So when it comes to attention span, it is so important that we learn to spend time under God's word. It's a discipline. It takes time. You're not going to go from, I read a five-minute devotional to let me sit down for three hours. You're not going to, but you have to say, is this important to me? And we have to challenge ourselves with that because we make time for things we treasure, right? Like that song says, that is very important. No, it's not that you don't have time. It's you're, you're making a value decision every time you choose what you're going to do. I'm picking this over this. I'd rather watch a movie for an hour and a half and give God five minutes because I want to entertain myself. That's a value decision. And we got to come to terms with those kind of things. So when it comes to doctrine, when it comes to knowing God's work, as I prayed earlier, this is not so I could be puffed up with knowledge because the Bible speaks about that as well. It's God. I want to know you. I need to know you. Listen, you knew your parent when you were two, three years old, and you love them to death. If you know your parent in that same way, and now you're 33 years old, 63 years old, 83 years old, that's a problem. The Bible is very clear about us maturing and developing and growing in the knowledge and the word 
so that we will know our God for who he is, not who we think. Hey, you could have this grand thought about who your parents are when you're three. When you're 33, you know them better, and it wasn't as grand as you thought at three, maybe. With God, it's the opposite. With God, the more you know him, the more you are in awe with him. The more you know him, the more you recognize it is by grace and mercy that a sinner like me is saved. Paul starts to speak about him, himself. He says, to Timothy, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. The time for my departure is close. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. He firmly guarded the gospel against error. That's what he's saying there. He was poured out. What was poured out look like for Paul? Paul planted churches. Every time Paul wrote a letter to a church, he was correcting doctrine. He was correcting what they thought, that who God was. If you're not in your word thinking these things through, challenging what you believe about God, you're probably going off in certain areas. And you know what I find amazing? Often people, and it's okay, come to me, I'll spend 15, 20 hours in a sermon, they might have read that scripture last year, and then they're like, uh, you said this, this, and that. And I think, and I believe, and it's just like, let's go to the text. Let's, let's go to scripture. And, and I don't only see it, that happening to me. I see that challenge all the time with teachers and with preachers and with people that are like in their word. This is what they're called to do. And I'm not saying don't check everything that a person says because you are to. But base it on the Scripture. Do study. Like I said, if you're doing a five-minute devotional, you're not studying the Word of God. You need to understand background. You need to understand what John you're, you're reading. If you're reading a poem... You can't treat it like the law. You can't treat it like narrative. If I'm reading a nursery rhyme and I take that into the court of law, there's a problem. All of those things are to be read in its proper context. These things are to be learned. That's why we come to church to grow in these things. That's why we have a body with different giftings so that we can utilize those things that God has put before us. And we rather listen, and listen to someone with some aesthetics online telling us things that we want to hear, that feed our flesh, that tell us what we're going to be, how we're going to live our best life now. No, the, the Bible tells you as a believer you're going to suffer. It didn't tell you you're going to be rich. You're going to be rich in many things, in things of the Lord. But don't think for a minute those kind of things are going to satisfy or even have anything to do with God, his goodness, our love for him, who we are in him, because those are the things that matter. There are people jumping off of bridges. They got all the money and fame and fortune in the world, and they're miserable. 
we have the Lord, even when we were singing that song earlier, and I was just thinking about God. I'm free. I'm free. I should have made this two messages, and I usually have my time in right, but let me just make this last point before we engage in communion together. Paul is talking about being poured out and, and what he's done and what has happened in his life. And he's, he's about to die. He's in prison. And, and he's saying, hey, I've run my race. I, I've, I've done what God has called me to do. Uh, I'm in prison now. Uh, do me a favor. Um, bring my coat for me. Bring the, the scrolls. You know, when I just uh, was in court, no one was with me. I was alone. It was just me and God, but that's okay because he's, he's seen me through. Um, it's, my time is over, but your time is, is now, Timothy, preach the word. And he's encouraging him to do that to the end. And then he says to him, because my crown of righteousness, that victor's crown, I'm going to receive that. But guess what? Not only me, all of those that are looking for the coming of Jesus, they're going to receive that as well. Not only me, but to all those who have loved his appearing, we welcome his appearing. You can come up, worship team. Jesus is, is coming back, and when he came, he had this conversation with the Pharisees and with his disciples in John chapter 6, speaking about who he was, he, it says that he, he said, For the bread of God is he who has come down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread that comes down. He says, truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I am him. As the living Father has sent me, I live because of the Father. Whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. And when he said that, many turned away. They didn't understand what he was saying. And Jesus turned to his disciples and said, are you going to leave too? And they said, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. He has the words of life. People of God, we need to know his word. We are easily deceived when we don't know his word. We're going to take 
communion at this time. And I'd just like us just to reflect for a few minutes on the bread of life, on the one that has given his body and his blood, that we would be called redeemed, that we would be called his children, that our eternal destiny would be with him and his kingdom come. So let's reflect on that for a few minutes. Hear this song as you just consider what Jesus has done, and I'll come back and we'll take communion together. Amen.